You have been gracious to your land, O Lord. You have restored the good fortune of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people and blotted out their sins. You have withdrawn all your fury and turned yourself from your wrathful indignation. Restore us then, O God, our Savior. Let your anger depart from us. Will you be displeased with us forever? Will you prolong your anger from age to age? Will you not give us life again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the Lord God is saying, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who turn their hearts to him. Truly his salvation is very near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring up from the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. The Lord will indeed grant prosperity, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and peace shall be a pathway for his feet. Lord God, as we come to your word to hear what you would have to say to us, we pray with the psalmist that we would listen to what you are saying, for you are speaking peace to your faithful people and speaking peace to those who turn their hearts to you. Help us, Lord, as we hear your word to turn our hearts to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good evening. On this beautiful summer night, big night. We have sliders tonight and a big announcement, so... I'm gonna talk about our psalm tonight, and I'd like to begin by uh, thinking about the connection between memory and music. Um, Probably the sense that's most connected to memory is smell. So when you smell certain things, you can be instantly taken to a time or place or situation. Maybe it's the smell of cookies or whatever it might be, just takes you in an instant to Christmas morning or things like that. But uh, music, I think for me and for many others, has a very similar um, role in that I can hear certain songs and I'm instantly taken to a time and place. Um, and then if you hear that song in many times and places, you get a flood of memories associated with certain kinds of music. So for instance, when I hear the song Long December by Counting Crows, so I'm dating myself, because that came out 25 years ago this year. Yikes. Um, but that takes me back to the parking lot of Emerald High School and I am in my blue Chevy Blazer. And it's so ancient, it just has a tape machine, and I've got the tape machine connected to my Sony Discman, right, so that I can play the CD via through the, yeah, it was very complicated to listen to music, but when I hear that song, I think of high school, I think of the parking lot, all the emotions associated with that come flooding back, because there's a powerful connection between music and memory, and the Psalms are the music of the people of God, and I think uh, one of the unfortunate things is we don't have the actual music that went with these psalms because I think it would maybe get us, get us in that mindset. The Anglican tradition um, has set the psalms in beautiful ways to music, and, and that is, is one of the great things of our tradition. But like in Psalm 85 that we have tonight, it says, to the choir master, a psalm. It's like, what did, that, what did this song sound like? I, I want to know. Hopefully, um, in the new heavens and new earth, we get to hear all that music um, that the Bible has in it, but we don't have it. But Nevertheless, in the same way that individual songs can draw us into a place of memory and remembrance, these psalms, these songs that God has given us are meant to 
trigger the memory, the collective memory of the people of God. They are a means that God gives us to access our collective memory by which we remember who God is, by which we remember what he has done, by which he, we ask him to bring us into alignment with him, and by which we re- remember and help, ask him to help us at him act. We want him to act on our behalf. We want to remember who God is. We want to remember what he's done. We want to become in alignment with him, and we want him to act. So we're going to look at Psalm 85. You can turn to it in your bulletin on, on page 6 and 7. I'm a, I'll read the verses from the ESV version, um, so it won't necessarily match up uh, exactly, but it'll give you the broad strokes of it. In these uh, 13 verses, we have three movements in a song. The first movement, verses 1 through 3, is related to the past. These verses look to God's forgiveness in the past. The middle section, verses 4 through 7, are in the present, and they're a petition to God. They're asking for God's favor now. And the final section, verses 8 through 13, look to the future. Past, present, and future is all present in this psalm. This psalm that is meant to trigger our collective memory. But to put a little curveball in it, um, Robert Alter, the great Old Testament translator, has a translation of the whole Old Testament out. He has a little footnote on this particular psalm, and he says there is temporal ambiguity and fluidity in the verbs. And he says this, which is an interesting theology of prayer. He says the psalmist is imagining what he is about to pray as though it were already an accomplished fact. The psalmist is imagining that what he is about to pray is already an accomplished fact. So there's movement in time, a memory of the past brought to the present with an anticipation of what God will do in the future. And that's a rhythm of prayer. That's one of the fundamental rhythms of prayer is that we call to mind what God has done in the present to come to bear in our present situation and then we ask him to act for the future. So the present situation of the people of God is a little bit dire. They need God to act on their behalf. In their present situation, they're going to petition him for a blessed future on the basis of a redeemed past. Petition him for a blessed future on the basis of a redeemed past. In other words, they remember what God has done and ask him to act again on the basis of who he is. And they also ask to become the kind of people who faithfully respond to a faithful God. Those are the two parts of their petition. God, we want you to act. And God, we wanna be the kind of people who faithfully respond to the kind of God that you are. Memory is everything here, it's key. They are stirring themselves up to remembrance and to memory, and so must we. They must remember their need for grace and for mercy, for the covenant love of the Lord, so that they can ask for the things that they can't give themselves, which is really at the heart of prayer. We're asking God for the things that we cannot give ourselves. So memory is critical. And the command for us to remember, it's throughout the scriptures, it is crucial. Because the people of God always get into trouble when they forget. That's the book of Judges, over and over and over again. We forget, we forget, we forget. And then they would remember, and then they would cry out to God, and God would raise up a savior. That's the cycle. That's the Old Testament. So whether this psalm 
before us literally refers to the exile from into Babylon or not. We don't actually know. That fundamental pattern is still in place, that of exile and return. The pattern of estrangement and reconciliation, the pattern of forgetting and then remembering. That's the pattern that's in this Psalm. It's the pattern that's all over the Old Testament. And when we, when we say this Psalm, when we sing this Psalm, when we pray this Psalm, we're put into that position where we are called on to remember who God is and what God has done. So this Psalm is giving us a pattern of prayer, a pattern of prayer in which we address God, a pattern of prayer in which we petition him on the basis of his character, meaning act in accordance with who you are, a pattern of prayer by which we envision a result, by which I mean we say, God, if you answered this prayer, this is what it would look like if you responded in this way. So the pattern of addressing the Lord, describing his character, petitioning him on the basis of his character, and then envisioning what would result if he answered the prayer. And I mention this pattern because that pattern is built into the way of praying that we have in our collects, the collects for the week. That is the pattern of the collects. I want you to look at the collect in your bulletin that we prayed on page five. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, is how it starts. That pattern is in the prayer. There's the address to God, O Lord. There's a description of his character. He is merciful. And then there is a petition on the basis of who he is and who his character, what his character is like. What is the petition? Be open to the prayers of your humble servants. And then we have a result that we may receive what we ask. <laughs> Because this other petition is, teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask for only those things that are pleasing to you. So God, you, what kind of God are you? You are a merciful God. And because you're a merciful God, we are asking you to open your ears to our prayers. And as you open your ears to your prayers, to our prayers in your mercy, we're asking that you teach us by your Holy Spirit to pray with the result that we might receive what we ask. That pattern of prayer is in the colic. Virtually every colic that we pray on any given week will have that pattern in it. And it's fundamental to the way that the people of God pray. Who are we praying to? God, what is he like? And if he is like he says he is, what is it that we ask of him? And what do we expect him to do on the basis of who he says that he is and who he is promised to be? So we're invited to remember along with the people of God. We are invited to petition God on the basis of his character, to remember who he is, to remember what he has done, and to ask him, therefore, to act again. So turning to the psalm itself, look at the first three verses. In the ESV, we have all these verbs. Some of them overlap with what we have here. But the verbs in the first three verses are all about God. You were favorable. You restored. You forgave. You covered their sin. You withdrew your wrath. You turned away from your hot anger. The psalmist is rehearsing the character of God and what he has done. And that he is one who indeed is favorable. A God who restores. A God who forgives. A God who covers that, their sin is such a vivid and beautiful image in the Old Testament of what it means to be forgiven is that God covers over our sin, that God withdraws his anger from us. 
So the psalmist begins with the character of God and what he has done in the past. In the past, Lord, you've been favorable. In the past, you've restored. In the past, you've forgiven. Therefore, moving into the next section, this is what I'm asking. So in verses four through seven, we have the petitions based on the character of God. If all of these things are true, then this is what I want you to do. Verse six, restore us again, revive us again. I love that verb revive. Behind it is the word for living and alive, and it's this hint of resurrection. Bring things that have been in the dust out of the dust up to life. Bring us out of the dust of exile. Bring us out of the estrangement of relationship back to reconciliation. And this revival that the psalmist asks for is meant to result in worship. This is how the ESV has it. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revive us so that we might worship. So that we might worship you. So that in remembering God, we're not just remembering, oh, wasn't it cool what God did? That when we remember, we are drawn out of ourselves toward him in worship, in praise, in thanksgiving, in declaration of the deeds of God. That pattern is all over scripture too. In Exodus 14, the people of God are delivered through the Red Sea. This great act of liberation and deliverance, this great act of salvation, and immediately Exodus 15 is a songful response, the song of Miriam, leading the people of God in worship in response to how God has acted on their behalf to save them. Revive us again so that we might praise you. So the psalm begins with an outline of God's character, what he's done in the past. It moves to a petition. God, we want you to revive us. And not only that, we want you to align us with your character, with who you are. Verse eight is key here. In the ESV, it's this way. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. This is the hinge of the whole psalm. I'm gonna pause and listen. That's what the psalmist says. I'm going to invite myself into a space of silence so that I might hear the Lord because the Lord is one who speaks. It says he is one who speaks peace to his people, to his saints. So I'm going to silence myself and I'm going to align myself with the word of God with the remembrance that I can always fall back <laughs> Let them not, let me not back fall, fall into folly. So will we enter into that space, into that silence where we can hear the word of God, where we remember who God is, where we petition him on the basis of that, and then we wait, we sit and we listen. It's not just us talking to God, it's allowing him to talk back to us. And are we willing to allow God to realign us with him and who he is. And that involves correction sometimes. That if we're over here and he needs to bring us back in alignment with him, that involves us recognizing that and crying out to him, knowing that he is merciful and kind and one who is forgiven. He is the one, remember, who covers their sins. He is the one who forgives. Let them not turn back to folly. 
when, when we ask that question, it's us entering into some self-examination and even communal discernment. Have I, have we acted in alignment with who God is and who he's asked us to be? And if not, then let's just get honest, which is what we do at the beginning of every service, right? Let's just get honest. If we say we have no sins, we are liars. <laughs> but God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we are asking God, the psalmist is asking God, and we ask along with the psalmist to honestly examine us and to bring us in alignment with him. We ask him to align us with him so that we might be sanctified and so that our actions and our attributes might be aligned too, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways is what we say in the prayer of confession, right? That pattern is in the prayer of confession too. We cry out to God to forgive us, with the result that we might delight in his will and that we might walk in his ways to the glory of his name. It's not just about clearing the ledger, it's about moving forward in fruitful relationship. So confession is not about us beating ourselves up, it's coming in alignment with God so that we can be on mission with God, so that we can delight in his will, so that we can walk in his ways to the glory of his name. So the final section of the, the psalm, verses 10 through 13, we see in verse 10, this beautiful verse, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. We could see those verses as a meditation on Exodus 34 when God reveals his name to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and kind, all those characteristics that God lists. The psalmist, I think, is drawing those things to mind. This is who you are, God. This is what you're like. Steadfast love and faithfulness come together in God. Faithfulness and peace come together in God. They kiss each other. This steadfast love is God's covenant love. His unyielding, unfailing, unwavering love. And his faithfulness, too, comes together with that love. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just a feeling. It's something that God acts on. Of course, for us, we read this psalm as Christians, and we see that this is Jesus. He is the one in which covenant love and faithfulness, all these things come together. But it's important for us to see the ways in which God's action and his attributes are completely aligned. That God never acts in a way that is contrary to who he is. He always acts in accordance with his character. Action and attributes are perfectly aligned in him. And when this happens, the land becomes fruitful. The people become fruitful. Verse 11, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. This is comprehensive salvation. Up from the ground, down from the sky, everything is touched. Everything is redeemed. And then we have this culminating image in verse 13. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Here we have a literary device where God's righteousness is put in place of him. And that's on purpose because it's a way of saying again that God's actions and his attributes are completely aligned. That God never acts in a way that is contrary to his nature. If he is the faithful one, he will always act in faithful ways. If he is the one who forgives, 
then if we confess, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God will always act in accordance with his character. And that is good news. It's not, he's not arbitrary. He's not capricious. He will always act in accordance with his attributes. These things are aligned in him. They are never opposed in him. They are never separate in him. He is congruent. He is aligned even when we are not. And maybe especially when we are not. God is in line with himself. And this psalm is honest because it's crying out in the midst of crisis that God would act. And that doesn't mean this doesn't overturn all the psalms that ask that great question, how long, O Lord? (laughs) Because it doesn't always happen when we think it's going to happen or when we want it to happen or how we want it to happen. But when God acts, we know it. When God acts, he acts in accordance with his character. His steadfast love is his attribute. His faithfulness is his action. And the result in this psalm is a fruitful land and a faithful people. Fruit coming up from the ground. The Lord coming up. Righteousness coming from the sky. Comprehensive. A fruitful land and a faithful people. So what about us? Whoa. Sorry. What about us? This psalm speaks out of the midst of crisis. We've experienced a collective crisis. We had a pandemic. I don't know if you heard. It's a crisis. And maybe as you were coming out of that crisis, maybe you've discovered that whatever normal was was a bit overrated. And maybe you're trying to figure out what life looks like on the other side of that. That's good on the whole. It was hard. It was definitely hard. It was dark. It was lonely. It was uncertain. It was ambiguous. But to ask this question, is my sense of normal actually a little bit overrated? Do I actually want to get back to what it was? Do I want to move forward? Do I want to move forward with God? So maybe in the midst of the crisis, you found yourself fundamentally shaken and that you, maybe you found the experience of being cut off uh, deeply isolating. I certainly did. But that, at least for me, and I'm trying to make it true more, and so I hope for you too, was a deep reminder of my need for connection and community. My need for the people of God. My need to be in the midst of a people who sing these songs that trigger our collective memory and that we can be reminded when we forget in our own hearts what God is like and that he is faithful and true and all the things that the psalm says that he is and all the things that scriptures say he is and all the things that our savior show us he is. So maybe through this whole crisis, God has brought to your attention those things in yourself that were out of alignment with him. And if that's the case, that's good news too. Because he is faithful and just to bring us back into alignment with him through his people, through worship, through his sacraments, through the things that he has given us, these means of grace to show us that he is with us, to show us that he is for us, and to show us that he always acts in accordance with who he is. We, we are transient, we experience uncertainty, we experience ambiguity, And this psalm and many others invites us to meditate on the character of God, 
This psalm invites us to petition God on the basis of his character. See, we all can say true things about God, but do we pray true things about God? Our prayer life will always betray our real theology. (laughs) We can say all sorts of things, but do we pray as if they are true? And we cannot begin to pray that they are true if we do not meditate on those truths. Who is God? What is he like? Jesus comes to us and says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You wanna know what God is like? You look at Jesus. No one has seen God. No one has beheld the glory of God. The one who was in the bosom of the Father came. He has made him known. We meditate on the character of God. The best way to do that is to meditate on the life and character and work of Jesus. And then we petition him on the basis of who he is and who he has shown himself to be. And then we pray as if the kind of future that this psalm envisions is actually possible. (laughs) That there can be a fruitful land and a faithful people. And that God could actually do that here. Amazing. That would be amazing if the Holy Spirit could get a hold of us (laughs) and work his fruit and his faithfulness in us and bring us into alignment with God and his character, then we will experience the fruitfulness and the faithfulness. So I invite you, maybe it starts with the actual collect. Take this bulletin home and pray this collect every day this week. It'll take you like 10 seconds. Page five, let your merciful ears, O Lord. Pray it every day. Thinking about this pattern. Who is God? What is he like? Am I praying as if I'm asking him on the basis of his character to act? And what am I asking him to do? And what would be the result of that? Take this collect, take this psalm, think about that pattern. Who is God? Am I praying on the basis of who he is and what he's like? Am I asking him to act in accordance with his character in my life, in my family, at my job, in our community? That would be my challenge to you. Maybe, the one, maybe one of the things you lost in the pandemic was prayer. I get that. I could see that. I felt that. Not every day was a great day. Maybe this is an easy way to get back. Just take a little bit of a step. Take this collect with you. Take the psalm with you. Pray it. Maybe you could set it to music. That'd be fun too, to trigger your memory. But God gives us the gift of his word to remind us of who he is, what he is like, and what he hopes to accomplish with us. And I'm excited as we move forward in this service for us to share what God has done in our community. And that's part of what we're gonna do tonight. So I'm gonna shut up (laughs) and pray and transition uh, to the next part of the service. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord, I I truly thank you for your word, and I, I thank you for the reminder of your faithful love, your steadfast character, and that you are a Lord who inclines your ears to hear the prayers of your people. I thank you for all the prayers that you've answered for us as a community called St. Bart's. So I pray again with the psalmist, I will listen to what the Lord God is saying for he is speaking peace to his faithful people, to those who turn their hearts to him. I pray, Lord, that we would be a community of faithful people 
who hear your word. I pray, Lord, that we would experience your peace. And I pray, Lord, that we would turn our hearts to you and that we would find ourselves in alignment with you, that we might walk in your will and that we might delight in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.